This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 156 of the Dressage Radio Show. Welcome to the program. On this week's episode, we begin a brand new series on rider psychology with sports psychology expert and horsewoman, Dr. Jenny Susser. But first, we're going to hear from a regular contributor to the Dressage Radio Show, someone I caught up with just the other day to find out how things were in their preparation for a run at the Olympic Games. And that, of course, is Heather Blitz. Welcome back to the show, Heather. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be back once again. How are you? Doing well, trying to hold up under the stress of getting ready for the Olympic selection trials coming up soon. Yeah, well, for someone, you know, who's been under pressure, you know, you've been on the team before. How does it feel this sort of second time round? Obviously, you've got some experience behind you as to what this all involves, but the Olympics is different to the Pan Ams, isn't it? Yeah, it's a slightly different level. (laughs) Um, I was pretty confident going into Pan Ams with Paragon um, at the small tour, really a lot of confidence there. But going into the Grand Prix, of course, you know, being on the team, I have a lot more knowledge, like what to expect being on the team, and that's helping me um, with my preparations. But preparing for the Grand Prix is a whole different thing than preparing for the small tour. So, of course, I've got a bit more work on my hands. Last week on the show, I talked to JJ Tate about you know the distinction between preparing, uh, you know, your training focus uh, on competition as opposed to training for the art of dressage which you know a lot of amateurs focus on their goal of you know being weekend warriors kind of thing but you're focusing on something that's the bigger long-term picture and for someone who actually enjoys the training element you it seemed to me that you were quite happy at the end of the wellington season to go back into the training mode yeah, that's just a that's a, a really a pleasure to me to not have to of course train with shows in mind but um, you know, I don't uh, have that for very long. I have been, of course, training with the Olympic potential um, team position in mind. But even so, I mean, training for competition isn't just important if you're going to, you know, want to go out and um, do well just for the competition's sake. But in, you know, in a limited amount, it does help your training because if you if you have actual spelled out goals which would be going up center line from start to finish and um, you know, doing a test that you, that's going to prove your competence and your abilities. I mean, that there is a really practical reason to add shows to your training regime. It's just kind of like you've got to decide between you and your horse how many shows are, it's valuable for you to prepare for. I think if you do too many, you can um, not have enough time to do training uh, just for the sake of bettering your horse and like really digging into details that you don't get to uncover if you have shows coming up. Um, but you need some, but not too many. And I, you know, maybe more confirmed horses can handle more shows in their schedule. And I think more greener ones need bigger times in between. 
Well, Paragon, of course, is still relatively young for Grand Prix season, and you're going from a season at Wellington, his first Grand Prix season, with several weeks of no competition and going into a selection trial. So that's kind of a big jump, isn't it? You don't have a little show beforehand to just to you know oil the wheels and make sure how his show performance is going to match up in a selection trial. You're going straight into a major competition. Um, yes, and I... I feel okay about that because, uh, you know, he's not the kind of horse that gets affected by an atmosphere, a show atmosphere. I'm not the kind of rider that does. He's not that affected by situations, um, you know, the tense, the tenseness or the electricity in competitions, and I'm not really either. I do have to practice, you know, what it takes to make the ride happen from start to finish, but I pretty much have parts of the test in mind every day that I ride. I don't ride through the test every day, but I, I do know sort of inherently how much time I have left. And I think just by sort of natural instinct, I start putting pieces of the test together in my daily routines, but I don't, I don't, I haven't made the whole thing happen since my last show where I actually make the halt and salute all the way through to the last halt and salute. But I do know just instinctively, everywhere I put transitions, I know where they are in the test. And those are the hardest thing about tests, are just the transitions. Um, and I do put those where they are, where they belong, and, and you know, in sort of in sequence, at least two or three in sequence. So I'm, I'm practicing the test in bits and pieces just instinctively. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are, second week of May. And the trials are in June over two weekends up in Gladstone, New Jersey. So what's your schedule with him like now? You're still working like six days a week. Um, how does that program look now? And does it change as you build up to a competition as big as this? Um, hopefully it doesn't change. Um, I, I want to do what I normally do. And I think it's a big problem or it's a, it's a mistake to go to a championship and say, okay, now it has to be different. Like, why would I want to change it? You know, I mean, maybe you adjust things and tweak things in training, but that's what I do, whether there's a show coming up or not. So you don't up the ante, so to speak. You no. don't expect, you know, 10 out of 10 performances as it gets close to that. You, no. You just, that, okay. Because that would, that would be different um, than what his normal routine is, what he knows, and what training is. So I think it's a, it's a thing to avoid um, overthinking this, and mm-hmm. and I don't think, oh my gosh, Gladstone, it has to, uh, the trials are so mega important. I have to just go as I would to any horse show, right. and of course I'm going to have every bit of my focus on it. But I do that at shows anyway, and I think the best thing is to stay the same competitor that I am at any show because I care mm-hmm. about every competition I go to. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if we're ready at the time that the trials come around and we do well then we do well. And if we're not ready, I can't force it anyway. I can't force him to be a way that he's not trained to be. So that's the reality. And I, I'm not going to make huge improvements in one day if that's not the way I normally train the horse. Right. So you don't put any undue pressure on yourself, really. I mean, that's a good message, I think, to riders, not to build up sort of psychologically in your mind these higher expectations because it's another competition which has more weight, if you like, certainly a selection trial from Olympic Games. It's just another competition, and it's part of your program. It is. And if we're good enough, we get selected. And if we're not, we don't get selected. Yeah. And that's the way it is, and, and life will go on either way. Mm. So um, whatever is supposed to happen will, depending on how advanced we are in our training at the time that the trials come around. And of course, I hope that we're good enough. And I, and I look all the time to see you know, what sort of 
um, performances that the other horses and riders that are coming to the games are, are doing. I mean, I, I know what the competition looks like, but in my mind when I ride, I, I have to try as much as possible to still train and ride as I do and to my horse's potential that day. And I can't force him to be a way that he's not. And where like I said, where I make, would try to make too much of an improvement in one day, mm. I think that would ruin training and it would make things worse. Mm. Well, I think that's an interesting message coming from a Grand Prix rider because I think a lot of riders often would make that mistake by putting pressure, maybe nerves on themselves, the mm. competition nerves, and maybe react differently, you know, just up the ante thinking they have to, you know, because what's at stake. So let's uh, just talk about the schedule now. You've got a few weeks before you leave. When do you actually head up to Gladstone? Um, just at the end of the month. I just have to decide when Memorial Day traffic will be right. not so bad so I can get up there um, with an easy drive. I'm going to haul him myself right? Uh, and take two days to get up there. It's a good 1,200 miles. Yeah. It's so haul. it's a long way. We'll do it in two days. But um, he's a good traveler. He's a very good traveler. He'll be in a box, and he can have he can just be as comfortable as possible. Right. And we'll split it up and have a good overnight place and um, get up there with a week's no, a week's advance, so we can rest a little bit and then do a little training, and then move to the competition uh, grounds and then be ready for the jog and the competition. Right. So just explain the format then of the competition, Heather, um, uh, and how the team has decided then that selection trial. Well, the top 15 uh, combinations from the country get invited. So uh, the, the top 15 will be going for the top three spots. But actually, Stefan Peters and Ravel um, have a buy for this competition. They already have enough credibility to be accepted to the team. So they're not going to compete. Um, Stefan will be there on his other horse, Legolas. So the top three will get selected to be the top three or the actually the, the top two then because mm-hmm. Ravel's already one of our mm-hmm. spots. Then we need two more, and it will be um, number one and number two will be named to the team number as, one. A, as a final decision, yeah. Right. So uh, the first weekend then of, uh, of June, isn't it, that the first – Part of the selection trials. So yeah, it starts on June 8th. June 8th, and you do a Grand Prix, and then a special and a freestyle, or do you have no. to do a freestyle at all, just the Grand Prix? and Yeah, no freestyle at all this year. Okay. So tell us how that, go- that that's for the first weekend, and then a week later, the same the again. same again. Just Grand Prix and Grand Prix special. Yeah, and then the four test will be 25% um, of, the, of the final. Mm-hmm. Um, total for mm-hmm. each rider. So each test is 25% of the, of the end total. And then that total is uh, just ranked. That's it. That's, yeah. the, that's the ranking. And so yeah. when will you actually be told officially then? There's no other factor that comes into it. It is basically the results of those two weekends. That is basically the way it is, yes. So you'll know. You'll be, will you know sort of halfway through if you... Yeah, well, yeah. we'll probably have a good idea how it, how it might shake out after the first weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, see how the horses are going and who's strong and who's um, got a good chance. And, of course, anything can happen on the second weekend. So we won't really know until the very last competitor goes up center line on the, on the last day. So, yeah. Well, you've been to Glanstone and you've done that before for the Pan Ams. So you pretty much know the routine. Do you get excited? Yeah. When it comes very to the excited, competition. yes, very excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to seeing everybody else because yeah. some of them I know, and some are from the West Coast, so it's always fun to see what everybody else brings. Yeah, 
And being part of that team camaraderie again, get into that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's all exciting. I mean, yeah. what a great life, you know, that we yeah. live being able to do stuff like this. Yeah. And you, you take your dogs along with you to, to Gladstone I to will. enjoy the party? Yeah. Last year being gone for Pan, the whole Pan Am ordeal, I was gone two months. And that's a long time away Yeah. Uh, from everything. And I missed my dogs a lot. So at least this time I'll have them up there with me for a month. Cool. All right. So, and all the horses uh, get left at home then. Well, if you were selected, that's a long time going to be away from home. If I make the team, I'll be away from home a total of two and a half months. Wow. That's a a long time. Yeah. And the horses here will be ridden by my um, manager and rider, Hannah Michaels. Mm -hmm. And um, she's going to hold the fort down for me here. And um, she's fantastic. And I rely on her 100% and trust her 100%. So I'm lucky to have that. Right. So you can go away knowing everything's going to be taken care of at home. And, uh, well, exciting, Heather. Yep, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Anything else you're doing for fun these days? No, not right now. (laughs) Playing frisbee with your dogs? That's about it. A little (laughs) bit of book reading and, and, um, yeah, maybe just a a fun evening out for dinner or something like that. But that's about it. Not a whole lot of time for fun stuff at this point. But Uh there will be later. And you've had a lot of support in this campaign to... I have. I've had some very generous um, gifts from friends and fans and supporters, and I'm really grateful for that. And every every bit helps for sure, as it's going to be a lot to to keep up. um, You know, paying the bills when the income stops for a long time. Right. Well, it's huge, Heather. It's a big year for you. Want to wish you the very best of luck on that journey to Gladstone and hopefully beyond. And uh, you'll we'll catch up with you uh, either after after Gladstone or before the games, or uh, you know. Let's see how it unfolds. It's a, it's a journey, isn't it? Yep, it is. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It's fun as always. And a reminder again that those dates for the U.S. Equestrian Federation's Dressage Festival of Champions, which is the U.S. selection trials for the Olympic Games this year, will take place in Gladstone, New Jersey, at the USET Foundation headquarters in June on those two weekends, June the 8th through the 10th and the 13th through the 17th. So stay tuned to the Dressage Radio Show for updates on how that competition unfolds and who the U.S. team will be for the London Olympic Games. We will, of course, be there in London to cover all the action here on the Horse Radio Network for the Dressage Radio Show, as well as the Eventing Radio Show and the Jumping Radio Show. So stay tuned this summer. It's hotting up, of course, as uh, the competitions that are happening all over the world to finally select those teams for the Olympics are unfolding. We'll bring you updates here on the show, too. But now for a brand new segment here, a series that we're going to be running over the next uh, few weeks here on the show and that is sports psychology for riders dr jenny susser is a sports psychologist she's also a sportswoman herself as you will hear and she's turned her hand to dressage and helping the adult amateurs amongst you in your preparation to compete so let's uh, welcome jenny to the show uh, thanks for having me, Chris. Nice to have you on the show. I found out about you through the wonderful world of social network. And, of course, we have mutual friends being in the dressage world, JJ Tate being one of them. She spoke of you just uh, just last week. So I thought it would be timely to get you on the show and talk about that very intricate topic of sports psychology because you deal with a lot of adult amateurs, which, of course, is a large part of our audience. And so uh, we could take a look at the different components, Jenny, if that's okay with you, and of the different things that you do. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and and why you got smitten with this dressage bug. Uh, 
<laughs> well, I rode as a kid. I my my competitive career was not in horses. I I rode. I was one of those little girls that was horse crazy that you know trotted or cantered everywhere. And I rode, um, you know, backyard barn as a kid. And then um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I moved to Southern California and spent 20 years in Southern California, which is where I had a swimming career. I was a all-American swimmer at UCLA and competed uh, on a couple of national teams and went to Olympic trials. And that's where I got the sports psychology bug. But as an equestrian, I had a 20-year break, and then I went on one of those city slickers vacations when I was uh, finishing up graduate school and got rebitten by the the horse bug and um and just wound up you know by fate with a dressage trainer in LA and uh you know have been near a horse every day since <laughs> you know how that goes <laughs> that's it once you've got it there's no getting away from it <laughs> no no absolutely not and you organize clinics don't you Jenny uh, for rider psychology basically I do. I do a two-day mounted clinic called Riding with Confidence, and I work with um, I work with eight to ten riders a day, and usually they'll ride both days. And we start off each day with a an hour lecture and talk about sports psychology. We talk about anxiety, <clears throat> focus, goal setting, confidence, all those things that go into helping people deal with fear, which is a, a pretty strong theme in adult amateur riders. And then also confidence, which everybody could use a little more confidence in some area of their life. Uh, and the the rides are pretty amazing. And when I get the opportunity to work at a barn like JJ's and with JJ, it ends up being a great um, situation. So I work with a rider with JJ. It helps the rider. It helps JJ or any trainer that I'm working with. And it just creates a really, really neat, um, productive environment. So they would be riding, but would you do any groundwork with them before they get on the horse? No, we do. I'll do the hour lecture, which which really kind of just sets up the stage, sets the energy, sets the course for the day, and gets them all thinking um, about sports psychology and fear and confidence and anxiety or focus or um, whichever topic I talk about that morning. And then, you know, riding in a clinic situation produces anxiety for most riders. I mean, I actually, pretty much for every rider, good, bad, or indifferent, it, it gets their heart rate up. It gets them kind of having that same kind of physical response that they have to show nerves or fear. Um, so it becomes very um, visible and palpable, and then we can deal with it right there while they're in the saddle. I started doing these clinics um, actually out of working. I worked with London. I've worked with London Gray for years, and started working with her and a rider at the same time. And I noticed, and I it, and it was a rider that I worked with, you know, individually doing phone sessions actually. And I noticed that the difference that I was able to make with the person actually on the horse was huge. Like I can sit, we can sit in an office or we can do a phone session and we can talk, but without the the actual horse there and the actual nerves that present and that alive, it it makes a difference, but it made like this just overwhelming difference when they were on the horse. So it was a it it, it it's a pretty cool experience, both for the riders and the auditors. 
Now, you know that most people ride horses like many sports they participate in. They really do it fundamentally for fun. But that element seems to be forgotten when they are in that situation and unable to deal with the anxiety and the pressure, much of which, as an amateur, you're putting on yourself to perform or even in in a clinic. So right there, you have to overcome that first hurdle and, I guess, remind them, well you're here because you're doing this for fun. This is your part-time hobby, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first question that I ask anybody that I work with is why do you X, Y, Z? Why do you ride? Why do you swim? Why do you run? Why do you fence? Why do you golf? Whatever it is, why do you do it? And you're absolutely right. We, we lose track of that. And in our, I mean, especially in equestrian, you know, do you have the latest belt? Do you have the latest saddle? Do you have the prettiest warm blood? Is your, you know, <laughs> it's really, it's, it's keeping up with the Joneses is yeah. a tremendous external pressure in, in our culture. Uh, and that, that distracts people for sure. You know, I see, I talk to a lot of people about horse, their horse matching. I see so many horse and rider mismatches. And you look at an adult amateur woman who might be five foot four and not very fit or whatever, and she wants a 17-hand warm blood that just bounces her out of the saddle. And it's, it's a shame because the happiness factor would be like tripled, quadrupled, anything, if she had a, you know, 16 or 15 two-hand, you know, littler horse that they could ride, that they could enjoy. But, you know, we get caught up in those things, and it can be really challenging to reground yourself in your why, you know, your your purpose. What are you, what are you doing here? Why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. And, of course, many of these adult amateurs will have horses in a, a professional stable where they're up against the other weekend warriors, so to speak, with this keeping up with the Joneses attitude and, you know, putting those expectations upon themselves, even if it's not within their goals, so, as you say, they'll they'll buy a horse, much more horse than they need, when they would get an awful lot more fun riding something smaller, more compact, more physically fitting for them too. Uh, that already there is a psychological adjustment, Jenny, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. And it's a, it's a really difficult one to make. And... And that is what I work for. I work a lot for that, for people to find ways to make themselves happier. You know, in in competition, I always say fun is a byproduct, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a friend that, you know, I would go to horse shows, and every time she'd go in the ring, I'd say, have fun. And after a couple of years, <laughs> she's going in the ring, I go, have fun. And she turns to me, and she's like, this is not fun. This is about competing. <laughs> I thought, wow, you know, so I was like, okay, fine, win or die, you know, as a joke, and mm-hmm. that became our joke, but, uh, but fun is really a byproduct for the competitor, but for the non-competitor, fun should be the focus, um, and, and we lose track of that, you're absolutely right, so when I can help someone reconnect to that and find a way to create more fun in their horse experience, mm-hmm. number one, it makes them instantly safer. Yes. Immediately safer. Uh, and then it's, it's way more fulfilling. I mean, we spend hours, hours and hours and dollars and dollars and dollars and dollars and dollars. And, uh, and it really should be fun. And if you're competing successfully, then it absolutely is. Uh, 
But if you're an adult amateur or a non-competitive rider and you're stressed and scared, it's not fun. Now, the other aspect of all this, unlike most other sports we can think of, is the animal component. But I think primarily with women, typically mostly with women, is we develop that, you know, little girl and her pony relationship, the emotional aspect of that partnership with your horse, which I think, and, you know, going back to my little girl days with my pony, I never wanted to let my pony down. You know, and silly as that may sound, but I think we also put that upon ourselves. And especially if you invest more dollars into a horse, you know, high dollar horse, you don't want to be letting your horse down as well. I mean, forgetting all the human components, you know, the peer pressure, the family pressure, the spouse, the partner, whatever. But that emotional aspect that we develop with our horse and the partnership that we then take into the show ring to show off how, you know, good we're getting or or whatever um that just that alone jenny is a i think a component that should not be overlooked no you're you are absolutely right i just did a clinic and i had a woman riding a very nice horse she and she was a very nice rider as a matter of fact i thought she was a trainer and she was not she was an adult amateur and um with a really nice young horse riding around doing doing a really nice job and when we started to talk about what was going on you know you could see and feel the interference that something was going on for her in her mind and and for her it was uh, it's not good enough what i'm doing is not good enough it's not enough it's not good enough i'm afraid i'm going to ruin him or break him and it is i mean i you hear i hear that all the time i'm not good enough for my horse i don't deserve him uh, and you're right, it's, it's the relationship with the horse is why we do all of this. Mm-hmm. So we love it. I mean, yeah, I was saying to you earlier, a golf club doesn't wake up and have a bad day, and, or if you break a string on a racket, you restring it or get a new racket. It's, it doesn't have that same, same component of the emotional connection with the horse. And, no, and you can't do the John McEnroe and throw the racket against the <laughs> cork, can you? <laughs> Well, you know, I've seen versions of the John McEnroe for sure. Um, <laughs> we all have, where people are not or get frustrated and take it out on the horse. But I, but I do agree that the wanting it's it is a it is a significant component. Not wanting to let your horse down, or not wanting to ruin them, or hurt them, or break them, and and it's for sure an element. Mm-hmm. It certainly is. Well, there are many components to what you do, and I think we could bri- break them down into bite-sized pieces, don't you, Jenny, over the next few weeks and and tackle some of those issues, you know, about riding with confidence uh, as you cover in your clinics, you know, such as the anxiety, the goal-setting, the confidence you mentioned and the fear uh, and the emotional aspect and why we, first of all, we fall in love with our horses. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Do you want to tackle all of those, Jenny? Yeah, I'd love to. All right, wonderful. Well, we will do that. Uh, where do you want to start? What should we tell everyone to look forward to in the first installment of these uh, the series on uh, rider psychology? Well, why don't we talk about um, dealing with anxiety? How about we start with anxiety? Because anxiety is pretty prevalent regardless of your competitive or non-competitive level. We all have certain anxieties. Either we have anxiety because we are afraid of our horse we have anxiety, show anxiety, 
Uh, we have anxiety riding with clinics or sometimes even just in front of people. I've, I've worked with several people who are numerous people who are like, I can ride at home. I'm completely fine. As soon as somebody else comes in the ring, I get very anxious. So, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a pretty, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty prevalent topic. So we could start there. All right, we will do that, and uh, we'll go on through the topics that I think affect most riders, certainly the adult amateurs out there, and uh, remind everybody that the reasons why they do this and to get the most out of it. Well, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll look forward to catching up with you again and kicking off this series in some detail. Yeah, great. Thanks, Chris. And Jenny will be back in two weeks' time to kick off this brand new series. And if you do have any questions on the subject of rider psychology, what makes you nervous? How do you overcome the anxiety when you're competing? Or maybe you don't. Drop me a line to chris at horseradionetwork.com or you can post your questions on our Facebook fan page at Dressage Radio Show. That's it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Dr. Jenny Susser and Heather Blitz. I will be back at the same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening.